0: I'm with her, I'm Cal and along with our founder Izzy we're here to talk about the topics that affect women across the world.
1: Today we're going to be looking at white feminism and asking how we can all do better to support every woman fighting for their rights and discussing the alarming rise in labiaplasty which is probably one of the most disgusting words I've ever said <laughs> uh, in the pursuit of the designer vagina.
0: Plus there is a 60 second rant from me
1: and a confession from me. So let's get started. Okay, Cal, I know you love a good rant. What have you got for us today?
0: Well, Izzy, I call this rant the flip side. Now we've come to the end of the summer here in the UK, I want to talk about something that's really distressing me. The amount of young men I saw out in public showing bare arms, legs, and in some cases torsos, was obscene. How are women supposed to control themselves when males just brazenly flaunt their skin for all to see? Honestly, what happened to a good old-fashioned modest suit? Boys have no respect for themselves these days. Obviously, these boys enjoy being perved on, but I can't help but wonder, what would their fathers think if they could see them knowing their little boys are out there dressed like sluts? And it's the same in schools, Izzy. Boys insisting on wearing shorts and making all the female students and teachers uncomfortable. But you say a word about it or ask them to cover up, and suddenly the masculine Nazis are out in force screaming about sexism. Haven't they seen what's going on in other countries? They think this is bad. They should look at the Congo. Look, I'm not saying it's necessarily boys' fault, but you can see why normal red-blooded women are getting mixed signals. Their exposed skin makes women think they want to fuck, but put a foot wrong and you know innocent women will be tossed in jail and their lives will be over. You hear about it all the time. Honest females having their lives destroyed with false allegations. But does anyone care? No. Sounds shitty, doesn't it?
1: <laughs> well done. <laughs> So
0: white feminism might be a term that you've heard, but maybe never used. It's been in the news again recently following the publication of a book by Rafira Zakiara called Against White Feminism, which makes a clear case for intersectional feminism with fangs and calls out the links between traditional so-called white feminism and colonialism. The author has been clear that the term white feminism doesn't mean all feminists who are white, but rather a feminist ideology that's so deeply rooted in the white middle-class cisgendered experience that it fails to support, and to be honest, in some cases even perpetrates the oppression of marginalized women around the world.
1: Yeah, this is going to be a difficult one to discuss because Cal and I are uh, blindingly aware that we're part of the problem. Um, We are both white and cisgendered, so... We understand that commenting on the issue of white feminism is going to be a road fraught with issues. Um, But we believe that the problem comes when people like us try to dismiss it and refuse to talk about it. I just think it's really important that we spend the time, ask questions of of ourselves and our feminism and recognising what we can do better to help. So we always talk about how feminine hasn't been inclusive until this point and the importance of intersectional feminism, but like, how do we know how to do that? Um, and I think first we have to understand what white feminism is.
0: Absolutely. So I'm going to kind of try and deconstruct it a little bit. So if we look at the feminist movement as it was envisaged by the suffragettes, for example, it mostly boils down to having access to the same things as cis white men. So, of course, in that standard, there have been a number of enormous successes. I, for example, can vote. I can access higher education. I can get a mortgage and I can access birth control without my male partner's permission. I can, in theory at least, seek equal employment opportunities. Of course, all of this is great. But in the case of white feminism, the author argues these achievements can dangerously disregard other forms of oppression, such as race and class, that are acting at the same time, or worse, even feed into that oppression. The book also argues this story of feminism is very narrow and very Western-centric, which of course it is. And often, whether through ignorance or prejudice, and to be honest, I think it's probably a bit of both, it deletes or minimises the marginalised women and women of co- the role that women of colour have played in the advancements of women's rights across the world. So what the book challenges us to ask is what does feminism look like now? Where doesn't it go far enough? How can feminism as a movement acknowledge its flaws? And also how can we in the future seek to address the needs of all women?
1: Yeah, so one of the things that's been um, highlighted in the recent critiques of white feminism is this concept of leaning in. And so um, that's like the, the measuring of success of the feminist movement by the amount of women holding court in the boardrooms um, that used to be that exclusive um, space for men. But but the problem with um, conflating feminism with ambition and career success is that it ignores women who are just fighting for basic standard of living. Uh, which is a, a huge number of women across the world. Um, so instead of being um, an organized sy- systemic inquiry into f- fundamental human rights, it proposes that the solution is found by those who have the physical, racial and financial privilege to seek out these elite positions of power. And I've totally bought into this. I uh, Doing this research, as I feel like, has been such an interesting process for me and I'm really, really glad we're doing this segment because I do sort of believe that I kind of had to be Cheryl Sandberg to prove that I'd done well at feminism. Um, and, you know, we're going to talk about in a minute that, you know, we don't, the problem is white women centering themselves in this issue. And so I'm doing exactly that right now, but I, I guess it's my way of being able to understand my own experience and kind of see how my understanding of feminism and, and how, I'm supposed to show up in the world is actually very problematic and now you know white feminism empowerment now suddenly feels like it's about participating in capitalism the way that men do and that's actually not the, the world I want to live in either myself that's not the feminism I want to exercise myself.
0: Oh, I absolutely agree. And I think, you know, what what this does, this idea of this concept of leaning in, which again, you know, I've absolutely fallen prey to, uh, you know, and I very much felt that in order to justify my role as a mother i also had to have a role outside of the house i also had to work i had to prove that i could and you know i hate the phrase but have it all that i would demonstrate my good feminism i would get my good feminism card by being able to juggle both and do both and do both well of course that's you know <laughs> that's not what it is because obviously when we're talking about kind of leaning in and doing these things it tells women who can't or who are of course blocked from leaning in that they're not good enough and um, they're not good enough at feminism and it fails to recognize that there are so many additional barriers to being able to, for example, participate in a capitalist society. You know, whether that's the barrier of race or money or class, they all play a part in this. So one of the most personal parts of the book for me was how the author highlighted examples of white feminists believing that they're bringing feminism and enlightenment to marginalised people. And instead of actually stepping back and understanding and learning from the ways that, for example, marginalised people practice their feminism within their own lives and cultures. And, and, and I guess what this is, is it says that there's an idea that our feminism or white feminism is somehow superior or the standard by which all feminism should be judged. And, and that's really problematic to me.
1: Yeah. And I mean, that's also where people are talking about, um, you know, diversity without inclusion, um, <clears throat> where we're seeing we're, in order to be truly inclusive, we need to have decision makers like or at least people from all walks of life involved in the conversation. So like when you're making a decision about somebody else's life, they need to be part of that conversation. And at the moment, that's actually not how it happens at all. Um, And we have one woman in a group of men, usually a white woman making a decision uh, on behalf of all women. Um, Or if a black woman is in that position, they're under incredible amounts of pressure not to subscribe to white feminism, but also to be able to, tear down in structures that have been built over years and years and years, um, as well as surviving in their position. It's just a completely unfair amount of pressure on people. Yeah. Um, critics of the book have said that um, reducing feminism to just white feminism ignores many examples of intersectional feminism feminists who speak up against and fight for issues around cross-cultural um, female oppression, whether that's intimate partner killings, female genital mutilation, or forced marriage. Um I absolutely see their point and there there are many incredible intersectional feminists of every race and color who do deserve to be celebrated for their work but I do think it's really important that this isn't seen as an attack on feminism as a movement um as the author said herself in in her conclusion this book is intended as a starting point to examine the issues affecting feminism today I think to be up in arms about this um the issue and saying oh but Uh, And feeling defensive about the way that you have been a feminist is is a little bit like the equivalent of saying not all men. It's kind of like not all not all white feminists. And um, actually, it's our responsibility when taking part in a movement to analyse and question our own motives. Um, We need to look at what lens we're looking through and and seeing things. We need to be listening to others. I think that you know the thing to remember for any other white feminists who have participated in the white feminism around them it's it's not saying that you haven't experienced any kind of oppression as a woman because you're white it's just saying that you haven't experienced other forms of oppression alongside sexism Um, i suppose
0: what what it's actually saying is that you are you are less likely to have experienced additional forms of oppression because obviously we also need to to make sure that we're clear that um you know there are other issues that play for example class for example disabilities all of these things affect people regardless of their of their skin color so there are a number of kind of nuances to this so marginalized groups in general absolutely
1: yeah yeah i think it's just if people are offended by this idea um it's kind of a telltale sign that you've got a little bit of work to do really. And, (laughs) you know, you, you probably are part of the problem and, but that's okay. Like for us to be discussing this and moving forward, like that's what we want to do. We want the movement to, to, um, constantly evolve just like society is. Um, and I'm sure for some people it's not evolving fast enough, but, um, it's important that we, yeah, participate in these conversations and, and keep it driving forward because, I don't want to reject feminism completely. I want to be part of the people driving it forward. You know, no movement is perfect, nor is it homogenous. But if we can recognise there are issues and work together to improve them, so all women, no matter their race, class, sexuality, um, feel that they're included, and that will make all of us stronger. So we need to take ourselves out of the need, you know, out of like out of the centre, and think about what people truly need. And I think it's quite humbling to realise that, you know, we might fight for the CEO um, role in the boardroom, um, but the reality for people is that they can't access, you know, safe healthcare or – and for them – what they actually need is criminal justice reform.
0: I, I think all of that makes really good points, Izzy. And, you know, from my point of view as intersectional feminists, which is how I how I view myself, we need to be more courageous um, and we need to move feminism into a modern era in a way that prioritises and tackles the systems that keep most marginalised women in poverty and abuse and incarceration. So how do we do that? And, you know, very much as you say, the first step is admitting that we're at a crossroads and it's the time for feminists of all stripes and Hughes to listen and understand and accept that doing better in the future doesn't delete any of the gains that have been made in the past, but also understanding that we have far to go, very far to go. Um, so there are a couple of books that I would absolutely recommend um, people to start with if they're interested in finding out a bit more about this. Obviously, not only against white feminism, but also a really great book called White Feminism by Coa Beck. And I've really enjoyed reading both of these books. I'm not going to lie, some of it has been challenging. Um, but I, I really hope that you'll engage too. And, you know let us know what you think we'd love to hear your thoughts
1: how often have you looked at your labia cal um how, how, I, do you know what maybe once <laughs> <laughs> how often have you looked at other women maybe never Whether queer or straight many of us actually don't have much of an idea about what an average or ideal i'm putting that in quotation marks because i hate that expectation, um, ideal labia looks like. Because, spoiler alert, there's no such thing.
0: And yet, despite all of this, an increasing number of women around the world seem to believe that there is something wrong with their downstairs lips. So labiaplasty, which is surgery that alters the appearance of the vulva, is actually on the rise. In fact, it's the fastest rising cosmetic surgery worldwide, according to the International Society of Aesthetic Plastic Surgeons.
1: I just hope that statistic is because it's the least popular one, but I don't actually think that that's the case. Labiaplasty is generally used to reduce the size of the labia minora, so the inner genital lips, so they don't hang below the labia majora, which is the outer ones. Um, Yes, there are four lips. (laughs) Allegedly. The things we find
0: out—we <laughs> <laughs> didn't even know what a vulva was a few months ago. So we're really we're learning and how, growing. How
1: we've grown. Um, <laughs> yeah. Our feminism is really up to scratch. Um, okay, it's also important to note um, that reasons for surgery aren't always cosmetic. Of course, they can be related to childbirth or um, even chafing during sport. Um, yet, we can't deny that this rise is staggering. Um, And I just guess this begs the question, why do some women think their labia is something that needs correcting? Because when I was studying um, a long time ago, (laughs) the the shock for many of us, like after a few wines, we talk about that. So many of us hadn't actually ever looked at our vulvas before and we would like giggle about getting mirrors um, to go and have a look. And um but shockingly, I do remember immediately feel, immediately feeling a sense of self consciousness that I didn't have before once I had looked at it. So in a way, it was like ignorance was bliss. <laughs> okay,
0: I'm going to tell an excruciating story. Um, I, I may ask you to cut this out afterwards because I have never vocalised this ever before, and this absolutely wasn't in any of the notes before we started. So I was probably about eleven years old. And I got my first pair of slightly more grown up underwear, uh, which had some some lace in it, uh, which obviously, as you know, with is that there are kind of fine little holes. Right. I went to pull down my underwear and my first day of wearing my fancy lace knickers and I thought I'd somehow got chewing gum in my pants because as I pulled my pants down something stretched something pink stretched down with them I freaked out and then I realised that actually what it was is it was my my labia had become caught in the lace and I was so had no idea what any of that was that was happening downstairs as far as I was concerned it was just a little cleft covered with a little bit of hair there was nothing else going on there that the idea and this was the first time that I had ever actually seen my labia Right, Um, I actually Genuinely didn't even know what it was. I freaked out so much, and as I say, I was so ignorant about my own vulva yeah. that I thought I, I thought it was chewing gum. I thought chewing gum had got stuck in my knickers, that not that my so my labia sweet. had got caught in the lace.
1: Just all. something about stories like that. Like you're so innocent that you're thinking about chewing gum. Yeah. Um, but yet you're like, try, you know, those moments where you try to be an adult and you're going, you're going to for lace and you want to feel confident and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. bless and
0: you. I've never told anybody that story before, so we may cut that out because. I don't know how much I want to talk about my labia stuck in lace, but there we go. <laughs> there's there's well, an no fans channel with me. somewhere. <laughs> yeah. So as, as, as clearly demonstrated by my horrifying story, vulvas are naturally varied. Um, and actually what, what I did is I did a bit of research. A psychotherapist called Julia Bueno talks about what she believes to be the real reason behind this trend. And she says that it's bound up in women's shame and disgust, which again, I think the story, which we're going to have to keep in now because I've referenced it, um, that I've just told absolutely does does kind of back up you know this was 25 years ago. Um, and I still feel a genuine sense of shame and embarrassment um, when I think when I think about it, let alone talk about it. So um, as Julia Bueno says, you know, there is a lot of misrepresentation, for example, in porn, which very often presents neat, pale and hairless vulvas. Um, and even in the media and culture. So, you know, in art, for example, women are nearly always depicted with a neat little cleft with no visible labia to be seen. And in the media, um, it, it actually was completely legal uh, and still is in many places, to just airbrush out any kind of visible labia. So if you see a little bump or a little lip in the out, you know, in a woman's outfit or anything like that, it's airbrushed out because apparently women can only have a little mound. All of this feeds into this idea that there's something abnormal about visible labia. And that, of course, affects how women see themselves. If they don't see themselves ever represented as having labia that's visible, we all assume that there's something wrong with us if there is. So just as an example, in a poll of more than 3,600 readers, the online women's magazine called Refinery 20, which is really good uh, check it out found out that almost half which is 48% of their readers had concerns about the appearance of their vulva of those 64% were worried about the size of their vulva and 60% about the shape of their vulva and almost one third of those, which about 30%, were worried about the colour of their genitals.
1: So you can check out um, Ying Lee, I'll put their uh, handle in the show notes. Um, and they post about their fat coochie um, and got an incredible 6.4 million views for their video on gatekeeping fat coochie culture. And you may also want to have a look at gynecologist jennifer lincoln and jen gunter the author of the vagina bible who makes videos um that explain the vast spectrum of what normal is so get researching get looking at all of them labias so
0: where do we go from here Perhaps the first step is accepting that there is no such thing as a perfect vulva. Sometimes the inner labia are longer than the outer labia and sometimes the outer are longer than the inner. Sometimes they're symmetrical, sometimes the clitoris is visible, sometimes it's not. Don't believe me? Check out the labia library or the Great Wall of Vagina for hundreds of examples of lovely varied labias.
1: And remember, the beauty industry thrives off your insecurities. So be proud of your vulva like you would any other part of your body. And if you aren't, do the work to get there. If someone sees it and it doesn't like it, it's their fucking loss. Trust me, they've got bigger issues to deal with than for you to internalize that and worry about it. Um, Thanks for those awesome references, Cal. We'll put them in the show notes. Um, Just maybe don't click on them uh, when you're at work.
0: So today is Izzy's turn to confess. So Izzy, what is on your mind, lovely lady?
1: Um, I look at women's bodies more than men do, and I'm worried that I'm a bit of a perv. <laughs> Tell me more. <laughs> I definitely check out women all the time, and I love to say to men, just don't look. Have some fucking control over yourself. You're an adult. And then there's me eyeing up butts and boobs left, right and centre. Like, is this a a double standards thing? Is it problematic? Or because I'm a woman, do I not come across as threatening? Or do I come across like a bitch that's just judging people?
0: So let's, let's dig into the internal motivations here. First of all, why are you checking out these women? What is it that you're doing here?
1: I'm totally comparing myself. Okay. But, But I do also think that I'm also completely appreciating people's bodies as well. Yes. Um, and I realise there's a time and a place to do that, and I and I don't necessarily think that I always do it in the right time and place.
0: I am a curve. So give me an example. Paint me, a, paint me a story here. Give me an example of the last time that you objectified a woman.
1: <laughs> oh, I do it every day. No, like any time that like I see a, a woman's body, and I it's only women. Yeah. Um I, you know, if there's cleavage or if there's a great butt or something like that i'll just I just can't help myself. I have to look at it <laughs> it's
0: an It's a very interesting one because what it, what it sounds like is obviously you know when we talk about kind of the the traditional idea of of men Objectifying women or, or perving on women, if you like, is that obviously there is very often a power imbalance there, um, you know, and obviously given the history of, for example, male on female violence or gendered violence, you can understand why it may be threatening for a woman to see themselves being stared at or ogled at by a man who perhaps physically presents as larger, perhaps has you know those advantages, um, it you know potentially could overpower that person if they wanted to, and um, you know I happen to know that you're about my height, so you're very little more than five foot, so the chances are that I could. I could probably take you in a fight, no offense, Izzy.
1: Oh, um, bring it on. I'm scrappy. <laughs> yeah, come on, then, I am scrappy. Fight. <laughs> oh,
0: I am scrappy. If you think you're scrappy, mate, I'm more scrappy. And I've got like oh these weird God. mountain goat legs. <laughs> are we challenging have, each other
1: to a fight? I have very strong thighs. I would be uh, able to floor you in an instant. Oh, this is interesting. All right.
0: <laughs> when, are you, uh, when are you coming to the UK? <laughs> Well, hang on. Back to objectifying women. Hang on, let's yes. let's bring no, this you, back. You're in order. right, and, and I'm aware. I'm
1: aware that I am not an intimidating individual. Um, in, regards to me, to, in, with in regards your to in regards to in regards to people's safety, apart from cows' safety. Yes. Um, mm. So, yes. but I do think maybe I take advantage of that. But then I'm like, well, it's okay if 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 people don't feel uncomfortable, then that's okay. Yeah. But then I think that maybe we then move into that territory where women often feel like they're being judged by another woman yeah
0: yeah, because we're
1: constantly pitted against each other and so maybe I come across like a bit of a bitch and I never want to do that um but yeah it's just even like it doesn't necessarily have to be boobs or butt but like even somebody who dresses like fabulously like I love like bright colorful things or like crazy um I don't know um what are they called? Shoulder pads or something like that. Oh, I just love it. Pads. I just can't stop staring at people that express themselves like that um, yeah. as well. So I am just sort of greedy with my eyes, I think. And, um,
0: Well, to me, that sounds like a, a, somebody who seeks out beauty, things that excite them, things that make them think, you know, and, and in the same way that you would walk through an art gallery and you would gaze upon things that you think are beautiful. um, There is nothing wrong with finding women beautiful or interesting or alluring. It doesn't have to be sexual. And I know, you know, certainly from my point of view, you know, I consider myself to be relatively straight with a side order of not so straight. Um, You know, I very much do spend as much time thinking oh god that woman's beautiful oh my god that guy's gorgeous you know for me if you see beauty you see beauty whether that's a lovely animal whether that's a gorgeous human whether that's a fabulous outfit if you see something beautiful you're going to want to look at it that's a very human thing to do our eyes are drawn to things that excite us yeah, so I don't, totally don't think agree. there's anything wrong with that what I would worry about is perhaps if you were cycling up behind a woman whose bum you admired and then you were reaching around and touching said bottom now I'm assuming you're not <laughs>
1: So there's definitely that. a line there that I'm not doing. That's a confession I I, I don't have bottled up inside yay. me, so I'm glad good about good. that. Um, yes. I do wish that I could sort of explain to people as well that like I'm staring because I think that you're wow, like but, as well. Would, but you can't always do that. that. What
0: would be wrong with that though? What if I, I went,
1: oh, I did do that the other day. This girl got into the lift and um, she was wearing actual clothes, like not <gasps> like a not up. sweatpants. Yeah, and I, ju- and I just went, you look fucking fantastic <laughs> like, you look so good and um, she was over the moon so yeah that, that, that's harmless like that was nice yeah I do like a nice thing. maybe I'm gonna try and say it more like and I not be that's, shy that's the way so don't be
0: shadowy if, about it be open yeah, about it
1: exactly right stop being shy and stop making people um like assume or guess what I'm trying to say with my eyes or whatever or however I make them feel but just say like I'm looking at you because I think that you look fantastic yeah and then, the, and then leave that was how good is it 100%. to be told
0: oh my god I can't even imagine that would make not just my day that would make my year which I don't know what that says about me because I'm all like <laughs> oh yeah I'm not vain at all but if somebody told me I looked amazing I would be over the moon and this yeah. is the thing you know I um you know I'm very I'm uh, sorry plain.
1: I said to you when we got on this call before we hit the record button you look lovely today and you told me that I was lying <laughs> so <laughs> maybe you do get complimented but you just like smash that back that <laughs> reject it at a pace
0: fine but you did just threaten <laughs> to take me in a fight Izzy so perhaps
1: <laughs> <laughs> bring it on <laughs> yeah
0: exactly Gonna take well you. thank you
1: I feel better for unpacking that all I appreciate and thank it.
0: you for your lovely compliment before we started recording you're right I do look lovely today yes <laughs> thank you so much for joining us again and for all your support come and join us in the i'm with her facebook group for more discussions if you want to add anything to what we've talked about today
1: yes hit that purple subscribe button on the apple podcast or the green follow on spotify that really really helps us out a lot so thank you we love hearing from the community and um, thanks for trusting us to tell your stories and speak about the topics that you bring into the group so keep sharing keep talking and keep supporting each other cal and i will see you soon this podcast has been recorded on the land of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin nation we pay our respects to elders past present and emerging sovereignty was never ceded always was always will be aboriginal land We take inspiration from the rich history of storytelling within the cultures of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples and respect their endless resilience and strength.